Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. Sandy I has been the general manager of data science at Sportsbet since the beginning of 2023, where she leads a dynamic team that leverages data in innovative ways. But what does it take to lead in such a data-driven environment? How does one balance the promotion of betting products with social responsibility? And how does data shape the strategy of a betting giant like Sportsbet? These are just a few of the questions we'll explore today. I have watched Sandy's career skyrocket in the last few years, and it's been nothing short of inspiring. In this conversation, we explore the key elements behind her impressive progression, including the leadership lessons she has gleaned from her time in the trenches of data science. And more importantly, Sandy explains how you can apply these insights in your own career. From discussing unique data science use cases that have propelled Sportsbet's success, to exploring emerging trends that will shape the future of the betting industry, Sandy offers a wealth of insights in this interview. She also shares personal stories of challenges faced and overcome, and she reveals the qualities essential for any budding data scientist aspiring to become a senior analytics leader. Let's get to it. Here's Sandy. Sandy Aya, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Hey, Eunice. Thanks for having me here. I am very excited to have you here because we have, for one, been planning this for a while. And secondly, I know you and have followed your career for many years. So I'm really interested in digging into the two topics that we have on the discussion board today. The first one being what data science is at Sportsbet. And Sportsbet, for those who don't know, is one of Australia's largest betting platforms. So lots of data there and lots to talk about. And the second topic is generally analytics leadership because you are very experienced in that topic. And I would love to pick your brain on exactly how to succeed with that. But before we get to any of that, Sandy, could you give us a bit of a synopsis on you and tell us who you are and your background and what you do? No, surely do. Well, again, like I said, thanks for having me here. Sure, I can answer that as I can start with my background first. But before that, let me say I've been a listener of this podcast, Leaders of Analytics, and throughout my career, I've listened to many such podcasts that have helped me grow as a leader. So I'm very happy to share my experiences with your listeners here. In terms of my background, I was born and raised in India, 
And Charles Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest is very real in India. Like when you're born, pretty much your career plan is written up for you by someone based on what you are good at. Now, I was good at math. So the career path that was chosen for me was I do engineering. And if I had been good at biology or chemistry or something else, I would be a pharmacist or a doctor, but engineering it was. So I, I, I did my electronics and instrumentation engineering first. And then I worked at an electronics company, which sold many electronics goods. But what I was doing was reporting. I was using Excel to report on the performance of the company. And I'm like, what exactly am I doing? I'm not an engineer at heart. And then my expedition for what my career is going to be started the next thing I fumbled upon was MBA. Was That was the next best thing people who did engineering and who wanted to sort of achieve great heights would do. So I did my MBA in marketing and analytics was a part of that. Marketing analytics was something that fascinated me. So right out of the MBA school, I joined as an analyst with Hewlett Packard within the global decision science team, supporting all the other offices of HP globally. And back then, really working on Excel. Two years later, I got married and my boyfriend or then husband was in Australia. So I happened to move to Australia and my first job in Australia was at a company called Victoria Electricity, which is now known as Lumo Energy. I worked there as a campaign analyst. I was still working on Excel and a little bit of SPSS and a few, few different tools that are probably archaic now, primitive. A lot of people have not that is very old school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're a university professor. Yeah. It's it's old school. All of this, like I feel very old when I say that. But I did use a lot of that in the uh, very beginning of my career for market research and stuff like that. I did want to sort of explore the newer world of analytics. And I moved on to the G Money back then. And this is where my career sort of started flourishing. I spent a good 13 years at G Money. And during this period, G Money became Latitude, a private equity company, later got listed as well. During my time at Latitude, I started off as an analyst and working on marketing campaigns. I also worked on merchant side of things, merchant analytics, working with the likes of Harvey Norman Coles on their finance products and analyzing their performance, designing marketing campaigns. I also had a privilege of building my first model pretty early on at that point, which was a typical cross-sell model that you'll find in financial services organizations. And after there, my leadership journey started. So my first leadership role, I got a breakthrough right after my um, maternity leave, which was which was great as a campaign analytics leader. And uh, I think from there, I've just moved into different parts of data, from data from analytics to data governance, to data platforms, data strategy. And, and up until earlier this year, when I was you know ready for a change, 13 years at Latitude, I wanted to explore other industries and with how AI and data science was changing the world, I was more interested to work for a, a different industry and different company where data would be used in more innovative methods than a financial services uh, industry would allow. And that's what, when I switched to uh, Sportsbet. So my current role at Sportsbet, I serve as the general manager of data science, looking after all the data science initiatives at Sportsbet. Yeah, and and as you said, you've been in that general manager role there since the beginning of two thousand and twenty-three. So, 
tell us a bit about your team there and what you and Sportsbet do specifically with the data you have. So my team, we got a a very good sized team of 40 data scientists and leaders. And as you'd expect any data science team to do, build a lot of models. If I split what the team do in three or four key areas, the biggest area that we support the business with is our pricing models. So this is pretty much when you get on the sports bet app, when you want to place a bet on, let's say a race, the price you get, the odds you get over there, they're actually designed by a pricing model. So, and as a team that works on all the different sporting codes from, you know, local AFL, NRL to soccer and tennis and even college basketball in the, in the US. So they actually run simulation models to then generate probabilities. And out of that, there is then the price point gets decided. And on the flip side, this team also look after the risk and liability side of things when it comes to these pricing initiatives. Another team within data science, they look after product personalization. So this is a very popular and known sort of use case, especially with digital businesses or platform businesses. So this team looks after what products do we put in front of customers through our app in a way that is personalized and it is based on their choices and their likes. For example, if you're a sports customer, you want to put in front of you the upcoming sports that you want to bet, and bet on versus a racing customer would get more personalized racing experience when they're on the app. A third team then works on marketing and customer engagement, which is mainly how you provide the right offers to the right customers. So you, if, if you are a punter, you'd have seen, you'd be familiar with odds boost where you'd have a price, a generic price for everyone, but then you have personalized prices designed for customers based on your taste. So this is where the model actually predicts which is an event you'd like to get an offer on and give you relevant offers as opposed to just throwing generic offers at you. And the fourth team, which is the closest to my heart, is a safer gambling team. So, of course, working in this wagering space, the community aspect of it and the potential harm it can bring to the community can be quite severe. And that's the part I take pride in this job, where there's a team completely dedicated to understand customer behavior that can lead to potential harm and use data to prevent that. So we build models to understand safer gambling risk score for customers, and then how do we intervene with them to prevent that potential harm. And finally, to support all of this, I've got an MLOps area as well. And the MLOps team are constantly looking at how we can build the ecosystem, which is the platform processes, skill sets of people to help us to scale from, you know, we've got about 25 models in production at the moment. If you wanted to go to 100 or 200 models in production, how would we do that and constantly upskilling that space? There's a lot to unpack there. So the way I think about what you've just said, I can paraphrase and you can correct me where I'm wrong, but you've got these four to your team plus the the operational arm, which is the MLOps, and the four quadrants, if I call it that, they kind of represent the four corners of the business of what you offer to your customers. And they kind of need to push and pull each other and, and always be somehow in balance is what I imagine. So you want to optimize your pricing and all that, but you also have to make sure you're not pushing someone into a gambling addiction. You want to optimize your marketing, but it's also got to be profitable, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the MLOps team actually making that operationally feasible to pull off with a good customer experience. Now, 
Then you can first of all, I'm, I assume that correct is correct. You can you can tell me if it's not. But but what what is your process there of actually orchestrating all this stuff? How does that work day to day? How do you orchestrate across these five different teams? I think your summary there was perfect. If I had to simplify that into one liner, it's basically the confliction point of price, product, and promotion underpinned by safer gambling initiatives. So that's pretty much what it is. And then, of course, Emma Lops is leading the way. The way these teams work together, uh, or as you could probably see, the nature of the teams itself is these are literally the key aspects of how the business is run. We want to make offer the customers the best prices you have for the events that you want to sort of, you know, bet on and providing you that more, the easiest and most seamless experiences when you're doing that, right? So that's pretty much the DNA of the business while we're also looking after the customers when they're doing that. The data science team, each of these different teams I uh, spoke about, they work closely with each of these price promotion and product teams to understand how do you use data to actually sharpen some of the initiatives? How do you get more proactive and less reactive in each each of these spaces? And that helps create a vision and focus areas for each of these teams, which then is a demand generation platform for all the other, the technology enablement that would you would need. So MLOps is one of the areas. The other area is purely availability of data. For instance, if you wanted to do real time, you need, you work back from a use case and say, this is how we're delivering on a sports bet strategy. We have a real time intervention use case and then work back from there to see, do we have the data? If not, how do we then create the backlog for our data platforms team? in a way that it doesn't become a blocker. So it's a, it's almost like that well-oiled engine, which starts from business strategy and vision to use cases to then formulate the data science problem and then use that to create the backlog of priorities for technology teams, if that makes sense. It does. And a question that comes to mind here, Sandy, is so the, the business here that you work in our sports bet is as it sounds, necessarily very data-driven. Everything is data, essentially, and you're trying to orchestrate that information to present up a data-led product. How would you compare an organization like Sportsbet to other organizations in terms of the ability to be really data-driven? And when I say that, I think of it's it's a two-pronged approach. So the data science team, the team you lead, need to be able to produce data products, but the rest of the organization and customers also need to be able to consume those products in a way that that works for everyone. And that's not necessarily easy. If one of those two arms are not working, then the whole thing won't work. So so you've worked in a business for 13 years before this one, which was Latitude Financial, also GE Money previously, which as an outsider, I consider to be fairly data-driven in its approach historically. How would you benchmark something like Sportsbet against your previous experience in terms of what the data science team can do to produce this output, but also necessarily the the culture and capability of the rest of the organization around you when it comes to data-driven decision-making? Yeah, look, I've had the privilege of working in different industries, predominantly in financial services. But when you talk about Sportsbet, 
it's a wagering business, but the differentiating factor about sports bet that is that it's a digital business. It's a technology, a digital business, and that's the strategic differentiator here. And when you talk about digital businesses, of course, you have you collect lots of data because your platform is your app or your website. So you collect a lot of data and that gives you insight into what customers want, what customers don't like, and lets you be more proactive and purposeful in what you're designing for customers with that information. And that's exactly what Sportsbet is doing. I would consider Sportsbet to be fairly mature. If I use a simple scale of BI to AI, BI being more reactive, more reporting, and AI on the other side of the spectrum being as proactive and automated as it can get, I would say Sportsbet is more on the AI side of the spectrum. And before I go to the AI side, though, in, if you see, if you look at teams within Sportsbet, there is a commercial analytics team. It's a huge team which is just looking at performance and numbers. It could be products or marketing campaigns or customers and how they feel. They're looking at a number of different aspects of the business and constantly producing insights that can help different parts of the business define their their strategic goals. But that team is a finite number of people. The culture that we've built at Sportsbet is pretty much very data literate people within each department, very data hungry people who want to actually use data. So this you see at the beginning of the project, people would self-serve on data. People have people within like the payments team or even the trading teams and product teams would build. Power BI dashboards with whatever data they've got. Uh, you, you've seen presentation with Power BI dashboards built by people who are not data professionals, which is talking about what have we learned about customers, what insights do we we know, and how hence the proposal to do X Y Z. So it's a very data driven organization from that aspect, from analytics perspective. The demand for data comes from the business as opposed to generated from the data teams, which is also a very good sign of maturity to an extent that within our strategy, you can actually see clear call-outs for data maturity. As an example, we've got maturing our ML ecosystem, machine learning ecosystem, as one out of the 18 points on sports bet strategies. This is the organization strategy I'm talking about. This is something I have not seen before at Latitude or other places that I've worked where a very specific data maturity initiative makes it to a company's strategy, especially something more towards the ML side. Like I've seen a lot of people talking about data strategy, data transformation, migration, et cetera, but this is this shows how mature we are. And another proof point is, you know, we've, Sportsbet have actually offered to share with the government and with the competitors uh, the model which we use for safer gambling. And that's now part of our strategy is how do we actually use our real-time intervention model to not only look after sports bet customers, but look after the community overall. So that's how key data and models are to delivery of sports bet strategy, but more broadly, even within the industry. Yeah, so given that you are wanting to build an industry initiative around this, could you perhaps share with us a bit about how you maintain this balance between promoting your products and services, but also upholding that ethical social responsibility that you have when you run a betting firm? Look, I think 
looking after the community is is a win-win situation for any business it becomes a bit heightened when you're in businesses such as wagering where the impact of harm can be quite tragic in some cases and hence the sense of community and responsibility towards a community is integral to sustainability of a business even so i think that's it's a win-win situation because it provides customers a safer place to bring excitement to their lives and engage in wagering in a way that's responsible, which is not going to harm them. And you know that you've been looked after by your bookmaker. But on the other hand, that also drives sustainability for sports bet and for this category as well. So for us, when we look at safer gambling, it's actually a product of us. So we've got recommend a system as one of our products, which is the way we present wagering products to our customers. The same lens, we have a product called RTI, real-time intervention, which looks at how much have you been depositing in the last 365 days? There'll, there'll be a model that'll look at your behavior and intervene if you think you're actually betting beyond your means. This product is as important or probably more important than our product personalization product, which actually encourages you to go and sort of bet on the platform. So and it's on our strategy, it's on our sports bet strategy, data science strategy, all department strategies as well. So we we take this pretty seriously from that, both the sustainability and the community health perspective. And hence, there's always a counterbalance to any marketing and product initiatives. Yeah, interesting. And it's really neat to hear that there is such a focus on doing that work to protect the community, but also that it actually is a very data-driven approach so that you do have some specific signals that you are targeting in that in that regard. Now, Sandy, one thing that I've heard you say a few times now is product, the word product. And one of the hot topics these days in data analytics is the term data products. And I would say that you have lots of data products running inside your organization between teams, but also customer-facing data products. I'm interested in hearing from you as the senior leader for a pretty mature analytics organization. What are the fundamental building blocks of being really good at producing data products again? in terms of the technical aspect of what your team needs to be able to do, but also how the business works with and around those products to make them useful? I think there are a few things that come into play when you're trying to shift the dial from models being an enabler of the product to models being the real, the actual product. I think, thankfully for me, a lot of this work was done at Sportsbed before my time. But if I... If I had to put some of the key things that actually can get you from models sitting on the sidelines, always being enabling to actually leading the way, one of the most important things that we need, that which needs to be done early on, is that data literacy component. Because the demand generation, the, the direction of demand generation has to be on the right side for data to be actually on the driver's seat. And that only happens if you're organization understands the value that data brings to the table. Now that can be done in two many ways, but the two ones that I've had success with is a, a building the literacy 
not just to understand numbers, but going beyond that. You'd hear executives from sports bet business talking about, again, the real-time intervention model I've mentioned a few times. They will talk about it being a deep AR model based on neural networks. This would be our chief product officer would be using these words. And if you are, if you interrogate with a couple of questions, they'd be able to actually then provide you a next level of detail, which wouldn't go into exactly how neural networks work, but they would know what neural networks attempts to do and why we have used that particular model for our safer gambling initiative. So that's one side, so education literacy, right from the executive levels to all the way to the, the teams that are using some of these models. The second one that I've had success with is the second change, I think, is actually demonstrating value early. A lot of times you can just get into this mode where you're building models for months together and you are not sure whether it's actually adding value to the business. Yes, it might be a great model. You've got some great sort of measures of how the model is accurate or precise, but what value is it actually adding? And this is where I think it's a big giveaway for a lot of younger data scientists and aspiring leaders in the spaces, your model is only as good as the value it generates. It could be a simple regression model. It doesn't need to be an XD boost or a complex model. And it's still okay. It's because it's solving business problem and it's actually delivering value to the business. So look for looking for opportunities to do that early. And the third and the last point I would make in terms of then technology enablement is acknowledging that Machine learning is still a relatively new area in Australia. There's work to be done in that space to take some of the existing software engineering or data engineering practices and make it work for something like ML engineering or ML ops engineering. So that's something every analytics leader who's looking to mature in the data product space should think about. How do you create the right machine learning ecosystem where you have the right people, the right processes, and the right platform? to let you mature and scale because scalability is what is going to get you to a model running on a side to actually a product that is customer facing. And let me finish off by saying it, what I have got right now, the my favorite a PowerPoint one slider that I take to most of my meetings with the executives is actually my data science product portfolio page, which has got on one side, it's a it's got two dimensions. On the x-axis, it's basically what are the different departments that are using it? So from finance to product to marketing. So which department is actually getting value out of these data science products? On the y-axis, it talks about what is the impact? Are these high impact models significant? That If, if they break, it's going to actually cause a lot of loss in terms of customer value, uh, customer experience or business value. And then I've got color coding to show how mature these models are and whether they can be uh, is whether there's scope for improvement. So a simple red, amber, green type of uh, color coding in there. So basically the idea being it's a one pager that shows everyone what models have you got? How does it add value to the business? How significant it is and how mature it is. And that's the starting point of my conversation. Sorry, that is a bit in there as well, Eunice, but hopefully that has given some takeaways for our, our listeners. I'm sure it has. And when you speak, I sit here and think about something that I think about often, which is how much similarity there is between running an analytics team or data science team and running a startup. And uh, I've mentioned some of these things before, but the way I think about your one page there, it's almost like you're going to 
a VC funding round with a mini pitch every time you go to the exec, right? You're selling what you're doing. And just like a, a startup fund that would go and ask for investment, you're essentially kind of doing that as well because you're you're growing this function that is again you, you are more mature probably than the than the average data science function out there. So this will be true for many data science organizations. You're sort of trying to solve the chicken and egg problem of you need more investment to grow your team, your capability, but you need to prove the value of that team and that capability before you get that investment, which is very much like starting a new organization. So you got to be a entrepreneur or entrepreneurial, whatever kind of word you want to a label you want to put on it. And that is something that often is a little bit challenging for for analytics leaders, because that's not necessarily where we all originated from, but it's a it's a side of your leadership that uh, you necessarily need to develop, in my opinion, at least. Sandy, we're kind of moving into the second topic now, which is analytics leadership. And you can comment on what I just said, but I'm going to start you off with a question as well, and because I've been watching your career from the sidelines for a few years, and it seems like you've really progressed your career, especially in the last three to four years. You've had a few roles that have sort of not just set you up for what you're doing now, but also given you lots of opportunity to grow and develop. So you can comment on what I just said before quickly, but also then perhaps answer the question of what, in your opinion, are the key elements or have been the key elements of your own progression throughout your career? Now, I think on your comment on the role analytics leaders play in the organization now being quite entrepreneurial in the way that as analytics leaders, you understand the potential analytics can bring to an organization that probably some other executives in the business don't. So you have this power of innovating based on an an expertise you have in this area. So you then carry the weight of playing that back to the business. And that's where you become this entrepreneur who is selling an idea and convincing your stakeholders to invest in it. And I agree with you, this is not a skill that comes naturally to analysts or data people or, you know, more technical people. You're like, oh, give me a real problem to solve. This is not a real problem problem. But also, it's also naturally not one of our styles. So we don't like to do it, but it's also not naturally one of our styles and you have to mindfully invest in it. I think it's quite related to then the question you asked around in the last few years and what have I gone through and how that has helped progress my career. I think one of the key pivotal moments for me, it's not an incident, but a bit of a reflection moment for me when I was stale in my career for three or four years. This is after having my second baby and all that return to partial return to part-time return to work and, and all of that. And I just observed after a couple of years, I, my career was not moving. I come from a cultural background where you work hard. You really work very hard and you assume that people around you would notice you and nicely give a pat on your back and say, Hey, Sandy, I think you're ready for your next role. To my surprise, that didn't happen. It was all okay until I wanted to make the big leap, right? You hop around, jump around, that's fine. You can always find opportunities to do that. But when you suddenly want to elevate your career to the next level of leadership, you got to own it. And that's what dawned upon me is I need to take ownership of my own career. I need to be the salesperson for myself, who's playing back what value I bring to the business, my brand, and how I'd add value to the organization and to the to a particular role. 
And this is where I started crafting my development plan purposefully, which had many parts to it. Clearly, doing your job and delivering on the key goals that is pivotal for the job is important, but also focusing on some other things. And this is coming back to your point earlier on things that we are not good at. We do great work, but we don't showcase enough. How do you showcase your good work? Not just within your own business, but externally. How do you build the right industry connections and the right connections which will either help you from a coaching or a mentorship perspective, but also just help you grow and understand the world beyond your organization a bit more. And this is some of the things I did differently about about four, four and a half years ago, mindfully crafting what my next steps would look like. So I had I spent some time and I took a break here for a couple of weeks, not going anywhere. So it was an it was annual leave, didn't go anywhere, just sat down. Uh, this is prior to COVID as well, and wrote down what matters to me the most and what I'd like to be. Uh, I had a a two-year sort of a view, a five-year view as well. And I went back to my leader then and I put forward my case and said, you know, this is a problem you've got in the organization. Back then there was uh, analytics didn't have a head-off role and pretty much directionless. And I said, this is how I bring value to, to the team. This is what I would do and I'd commit to do in the next six months. That pretty much was a start of me taking ownership of my career and all the moves since then have have been quite organic for me because it's just now the way I work is I look for what is it that I need next? What do I want to do next? What skills do I need to go to the next level? What connections do I need to make? And what do I need to learn? And I'll just add one last thing to that is one other thing that has helped me a lot in this journey is just trying new things, which gave me an opportunity to learn to learn. Like you learn a lot when you're a student, but then you forget once you are in your careers, deep in your careers. And that learning something new, it sort of awakens a child in you who wants to try, think out of the box, innovate. And this learning for me, it was not just learning about data science or data engineering or data governance. It was mainly, it was anything. And as an example, I started playing cricket three years ago. That was something I learned and that allowed me to be more vulnerable to, you know, I can make mistakes. I can learn from mistakes. I can grow from it. I see mistakes as an opportunity to learn now beyond the cliche that it gets used. So, so yeah, that's, that's a, a few things, probably highlights from that career progression the last couple of few years, you know. So our next step is being grafted for India's World Cup team in cricket. I assume, but uh, that's it. Other than we'll get that, there by, I'll get there when I before I get to sixty. Yeah, that's the aim. <laughs> well, you know, you said Indians are hardworking, so the problem with that is everyone else on the Indian national team are also Indian, so you can't outwork an Indian. They say so. I don't know if you'll make it, <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> Hi, dear listener, just a quick message from me: Are you ready to take your data career to the next level? Then I've got just a thing for you, the Leaders of Analytics newsletter. Every week I send you actionable tips to master the art and science of analytics leadership and to help you grow your career as a data professional. Every issue comes packed with information designed to help you grow your leadership and influencing skills in the world of analytics. No big theories, just practical real world strategies that you can start implementing right away. So head over to leadersofanalytics.com slash newsletter to subscribe and start making a bigger impact tomorrow. Subscribe now and your future self will thank you for it. Sandy, 
that was really, really helpful, I think, for, for me and for listeners as well. And I also look at the moves that you made in your career, and you've probably made some moves that people have sometimes considered, but they're not there. So for instance, I saw you moving from very much an analytics leadership role, which is sort of the more technical hands-on to data governance, for instance, which is probably something that a lot of people are a little bit scared of doing because it's stepping away from the deep analytics work, but it's probably actually set you up very well for the role you have now because you've got much more breath in your capability and your skill set to step up to that sort of role. You you have many more dimensions than you would have had otherwise if you hadn't spread your wings a bit. Mm-hmm. So I assume that that's fair to say. Now, what would be some key leadership lessons that you have learned throughout your career in data science? Look, I think by the comment earlier, absolutely fair to say I have been a little bit of a a wild kid right since beginning. I have a bit of a FOMO. If there's something that's happening, I like to try it out myself. And that's probably pretty much what sort of caused my move into the data governance space. I was like, I'm really fascinated by this space because I want to understand how it supports data overall and how it supports a business overall as well. Data governance can be pretty boring. So anyone listening to the podcast, I would say absolutely go find out what data governance is. It's not just an data governance manager or data gov- or data stewards work. It's everybody's job to to take care of data governance. And you'd realize that once you actually take a leap of faith and learn more about governance. But I think coming back to myself and the leadership lessons I've had, I think early on in the career, a couple of key leadership lessons for me were when you're stepping from a individual contributor or a, a analytics lead to a analytics manager or a leadership position, you almost have to then sort of remove yourself of a technical only leadership role. And you're actually a business leader trying to solve a business problem. This was one of the early learning in my career that I can't think of everything as an analytics problem. I'm a business leader and I am accountable for how the business performs. The second lesson I learned was feedback. The value of feedback is I can't sort of underline the word feedback enough. It's an absolute gold in career progression and career improvement. So right from the beginning ages, I think uh, when I, I recall when I was a senior analyst, I was like, when, when someone used to provide me feedback, I'd be like, oh, probably I'm not doing well enough and they're judging my performance. But really feedback is a gift. It's a gift to understand how people view what you do and take learnings from it and get better better at it. And that's something I value even today. I don't get enough of it. So I, I'd love to get more of it. And it's a bit of a challenge when you get to see in the leadership positions, but absolutely value that. I think the other leadership lesson or aspect would be listening. I learned to listen a lot and that actually changed my life listening to the business, listening to my own teams, listening to technology people. And finally, I think one of the other leadership, uh, the last ones more from a technical perspective is always stay across what is happening, upskill yourself constantly. Even if you're a leader, that doesn't mean you can't get hands on and experience what your team members probably are going through. So always upskill. Those are my four leadership lessons I learned. Great. Now, Sandy, before we round off, there are a couple of more things we need to cover. And one is quite important because you are 
also a volunteer for an organization called Go Girl, Go for IT. Could you tell us what this organization does, what its purpose is, and why you're a part of it? So Go Girl is Go Girl, Go for IT. It's a not-for-profit organization affiliated or a part of Victorian ICT for Women. Victorian ICT for Women as an organization, it focuses on improving gender diversity in the areas of science, technology, engineering, and math. So the STEM areas overall. Google, which is a part of Victorian ICT for Women, is focused on the very same mission of improving gender diversity, but doing it more top of funnel. When I say top of funnel, it's actually very early in a girl's career, as early as school-going girls from year five to year 12. And you'd be surprised that this is where the awareness and consideration of technology as, your, as, uh, as a career starts. And because of the social conditioning and stereotypes, girls as young as year six make up their minds that they are not made for technology and they choose a career in more caregiving spaces, which is fine. I mean, a, a teacher, nursing role, and this is all these are also career opportunities that a lot of people feel passionate about and they should do, but not they shouldn't do that without understanding the full spectrum of career choices. And that's where Go Girl works on, which is improving that awareness of the choices every girl has for their career and considering STEM within that science, technology, engineering, and math. I serve as the associate managing director there. So supporting the managing director pretty much plan out the program for the year on the different initiatives where we work with girls from all the different schools in Victoria. Our flagship event is an annual event where up to 1,400 girls from different schools of in Victoria, year five to year 12, they come together in a typical conference style session where you have you know, corporates like ANZ, Telstra, NAB, and, and many others, many other technology players as well, consulting players as well, they all come in and they talk to these young girls about careers in technology. And they have a very immersive experience in exploring careers in technology during the day. And the ultimate goal is, you know, even if there is one girl who is considering technology and is interested and puts her hand up, that's a win for us. Great, great purpose. And as a father of two girls, I really appreciate you doing that and paying it forward to other girls, other women that are following in your footsteps and giving them the opening doors for them in the future, but also opening their minds to different kinds of careers that you can have. Now, Sandy, before we finish up, I have an important question for you, which is a question and an ask, and and I'm going to ask you to pay it forward. So who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why? So I'm not going to give you a name necessarily, but I'll give you a persona of what I'd be fascinated to hear from. We hear from a lot of people who've stumbled upon analytics, you know, early on in their careers and have built and their careers and moved into leadership spaces. But there are also people who are coming from other areas, totally unrelated, non-technology, backgrounds that have still made their careers in data. I'd love to hear from a leader who's done that and how they see data contributing to the future of Australia and beyond from someone who's probably had started as an outsider and is an analytics leader now. Great challenge. I'll take you up on that. So thank you for that. I will have to see what I can do there. And I probably have might have a couple of suggestions I'm happy to share with you later, Eunice, as well. 
There you go. That would help a lot. That uh, cuts my work in half. Now, finally, Sandy, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of you and your content? So look, I'm I'm not very good at content. I don't have a website for myself. Perhaps should do at some point. I'm very much a vocal person. I like to talk. I like a chat over a coffee. Can hit me up on LinkedIn and I I talk to a lot of people for many different reasons. I'm very happy to have a conversation, a chat, or even an exchange of some messages over LinkedIn, if you like, and we can take it from there. Great. Sandy, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics today. You are a true inspiration to the people who know you. And now you are also a true inspiration to the people who listen to this podcast. So thank you for sharing all your knowledge and your experience with us today and all the best for your career in the future. Thank you very much, Jonas. Thank you for having me and letting me talk to the audience of Leaders of Analytics podcast and sharing my experiences and, and all the best to all the listeners, but yourself as well, Jonas. Thank you. Hi, dear listener. Just a quick note from me before you go. If you enjoyed the show, then please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. I have loads more great stuff coming your way. Also, I'd love some feedback from you on this show. So please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you soon.